So do you guys remember our series in 1 Samuel? It's been about maybe four weeks since we've been in it because of Christmas. Uh, we have paused our series, but we're back in it today. Um, does anyone remember what chapter we were in uh, about a month ago uh, when we went through it together? We're in chapter 16. No, we're in chapter 17 today. So last week we were in chapter 16. And the, the title of the series, if you can remember, is Kingdom Stories. And we're going through this book, uh, not chapter by chapter perfectly. We're kind of jumping through some of the highlight points. And our last study prior to Christmas, we are in 1 Samuel 16. It was that message entitled God's Vision. It was that uh, David's origin story. Do you guys remember that? It was that first time that we saw David come up on the scene. Uh, he's very young at this point, and uh, Samuel um, anoints him, and it was a very awesome scene, uh, even David as a young boy. And what we didn't finish in chapter 16 is that after that happened, okay, David is anointed king, that God orchestrates this in the background where Saul, who is king, he actually, uh, through a series of circumstances, has David come to his kingdom, come to his palace, and David, who we know as a music player, he actually played music as a young boy after the anointing for King Saul. You see, the Bible describes that after King Saul had began to disobey God, that there was a distressing and an evil spirit that was tormenting him because God had left him. And the only way that this spirit would go away, which if you don't know, demons are very real, okay? The only way that this would go away would be uh, the playing of music. And so David would come and play uh, music for King Saul. And there's kind of this scene that we get where David at this point, as a young boy, after the anointing that he received from Samuel the prophet, which was a huge deal, he's kind of going back and forth. He's sometimes at the kingdom playing music for King Saul. That was kind of his side gig. And then he'd also come back uh, and continue shepherding his father's flock. Okay, so that's kind of where we're at. But I got a big warning before we pray. Okay, and the big warning is this, is that I want you guys to know that famous Bible stories like this one, potentially the most famous story in all of the Bible, aren't put in the Bible solely so that children's ministry has something to talk about, okay? It's not just so that it's, oh man, David and Goliath, that's going to make a great VBS. It's not that God was thinking that, and so he made up this story or orchestrated, no, that as a byproduct as a result of the incredibleness, the awesomeness, the impactfulness of this story, it has been used in so many different ways that this story is in here for our learning and our growth spiritually. And you might know the story. I would say most of you, if not all of you would know the story. Some of you would be able to tell me uh, a few minor details. But I would say uh, there'd be a large portion of you that wouldn't know some of the, the detailed details. Because this chapter, chapter 17, takes place from verse 1 all the way to verse 58. It is a large story. Uh, there was a lot of context and a lot of things that happened to build up David going against Goliath and what that all looked like. And it is, I believe, in those details to which God wants to speak to our hearts today. Sound good? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you um, this morning, and as we approach 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, as we read it, as we study it, as we look at it, we pray that, uh, Lord, our experience with the story in the past, hearing it in so many ways, Lord, knowing the story, maybe reading it for ourselves, that would simply be the foundation upon you being able to speak to us personally today. Lord, we, we want to be doers of your word. We want to go and apply the, the lessons, the truths that we find in this story to our life. And so we pray that you'd help us to accomplish that today. Change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said? Amen. Remember what I said last week? And in Jesus' name we all said? Amen. Amen. All right, I want to hear it. There we go. Now, we're going to go through this, and um, I want you, you know, the, the kind of the main points, and that's just uh, to be able to break it down so that's a little more, uh, it's a little easier to understand, okay? So uh, we're going to go through it uh, just like this. Come on, see if it works. Oh, got to put this little guy in there. Forgot one, one piece. Pause with me one moment. I'm sorry. 
My bad. Oh, now, now I really messed it up. Woo-hoo. Now you get a... Here, I can fix it. Give me one second. Someone tell a joke. There we go. All right. Point number one today. We're going to look at the problem, okay? You guys still have your Bibles open? So the first 11 verses, we see the problem. Now, when we met David in chapter 16, uh, if you can remember back to that study, he was probably around 13 to 15 years of age. Uh, He was about your age, actually. And as we enter into chapter 17... We don't know exactly how much time has passed, but we do know that David is still under 20 years old, okay? So we know that David is for sure under 20 years old, uh, and we know that because the military age at that time was 20. So David would have already been at the battle scene if he was above 20, and so we know that he is still uh, definitely on the younger side. Now, we're not going to read all the verses because there's 58 verses in this whole chapter. Rather, we're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of explain some things, paraphrase some of the scripture, and then in each section, there's going to be some specific verses that we read, okay? Make sense? So... The scene opens up in chapter uh, 17, where the Philistines, which, right, Goliath was a Philistine, is is Israel's biggest uh, military opponent at this time. And the Bible describes here that they gather armies together, and they come up against uh, Israel uh, at something called the Valley of Elah. And you can find that in the first few verses. And the Valley of Elah is still a a place in Israel. I've actually been there myself. Uh, I'd encourage you even uh, after the study, when you guys get home, look up what the Valley of Elah looks like. It's a beautiful place, huge, uh, huge valley. Uh, Right in the middle of it actually still runs a creek where, uh, and and a small, small river where you can actually find stones there, uh, which is interesting if you know the whole story of David and Goliath. Uh, And you can actually visit that place even uh, today. Um, And the Valley of Elah, it kind of, you know, you can picture where there are two, you know, uh, two kind of big hills and there's a big valley, okay? And so the Philistines, they come up on one side of the hill and then Israel is on the other with a big valley in between them. Okay, and so we kind of see that's that's the, the situation that's happening. There, there's a battle that begins to ensue. And so, of course, Israel like realizes, okay, we're getting attacked. Uh, we're getting, you know, they want to they wanna throw down. And so Israel's gathering their armies and they meet in the Valley of Elah. But fighting was a lot different back then. War was a lot different. Uh, it sometimes take uh, days and months for even battles to begin to actually happen. And so for this time, uh, both camps of armies are kind of stationary. And then we get in verses four through seven, we get Goliath's description. If you kind of look through, you can kind of scan verses four through seven, chapter 17, and we get Goliath's description. And his description uh, is pretty detailed and pretty intense. Uh, Now, we are described for in the Bible that this guy Goliath that we've heard so much about and maybe you, you have your theory of how tall he actually was. Um, but we are told that he was a champion, okay? And when the Bible says that he was a champion, it's just not that he won a lot of battles, though he no doubt did. But when the Bible says that he was the Philistines' champion, it was a common practice of war back then that rather than having all these armies come against each other and blood spill be, you know, uh, very high and a lot of people die, sometimes armies would send out their best warrior, their champion. And that's what that word champions means. It it means to uh, be one who goes one-on-one with another opponent. And so this was their biggest guy. This was, in a sense, their secret weapon. And so this guy, Goliath, uh, we are told uh, a certain measurement. Uh, Most Bible scholars believe, they they debate a little bit, but they believe he was over nine feet tall for sure. 
Some people would say taller. Uh, most people would not say shorter. Uh, and, and we have even some people in our world even existing today uh, a little bit even close to that height. Uh, it was a little bit different time back then. But think about this. I am six foot one. If he's over nine feet tall, okay, that means I am only two thirds of his height, okay? I don't, I don't think I'm the smallest of people. In his sight, I would be very small, okay? Uh, we are given his description of his attire, what he was wearing. He was wearing a metal helmet. He was wearing a coat of mail, which is basically a breastplate. Uh, scholars think that it was weighing anywhere between 125 and 150 pounds. Now think about that. Most of you do not weigh 125 to 150 pounds. Most of you probably don't weigh that much. He was literally wearing you in a sense, okay? He was, his, his armor weighed more than you even weigh, okay? Think about that. Uh, the Bible describes that he had these metal shin guards. His weapons of choices were a javelin. This means it was kind of a smaller javelin, uh, ideal for throwing. It was tied on his back, so not in his hand. What he was holding was a very large spear. This was known for being great for, for thrusting, literally, I mean, killing people in that way, uh, that uh, the, the head of the spear uh, is uh, said in the Bible, to be about 15 pounds alone, not including the handle, the head alone. So have you guys ever gone bowling? Most of you probably don't bowl a 15 pound ball because it's even hard to throw. He had this on the end of his spear. The Bible also describes he had this shield and the word for shield here describes that it would have covered his entire body if he wanted to. This is a large shield. The Bible describes that he had an armor bearer who was actually carrying his shield. So it wasn't just Goliath, but he had another guy next to him who when he needed his shield, he'd be able to grab it from him. Now you might say, well, what's the point? Why is it so descriptive? The point that the Bible is making is that this guy Goliath was intimidating beyond what you could possibly believe that this was a freak of nature in a sense. This was the most intimidating picture any of the Israelites had ever seen. Now let's read verses eight through 10. We, we got his description, but I wanna show you in verses eight through 10, this is when Goliath begins to uh, tell his deal, okay? He, he comes down into the valley of Elah with his armor bearer, and he begins to talk to the other side, which would be Israel. And starting in verse 8 and reading to verse 11, the Bible says this, Then he, Goliath, stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And so this, this, uh, this giant of a man, Goliath, he comes out. And he has a deal. Goliath proposes a deal to Israel, one-on-one -on -one fight. Whoever wins, the other nation will be the servants of the other. And in this deal, the Bible says that he, he says, I defy the armies of Israel. This means that he is, he is mocking them verbally. He is taunting them. And we're told that he does this for 40 days every morning and every evening. So for 40 days, these armies are encamped. Goliath comes down and begins to mock, you choose a man, come and choose a man to fight me. And morning and evening, and the Bible says that Saul, the king of Israel and Israel, what was their response? It's that they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The Bible describes for us that as Goliath would approach, that all of Israel, these, these men of war ready to fight, that they, were, they ran like little scared girls and boys, that they were extremely fearful. Another way to put it is that they were crushed in terror. And so here is the problem. You know, something interesting to think about in this scene, this picture that we have, 
uh, we're described for in 1 Samuel chapter 9 that Saul was one of the reasons he was chosen to be the king of Israel is that he was the tallest person known in Israel at the time. So think about that. Who would have been the most logical and likely choice to go up against Goliath? Potentially, it would have been King Saul himself. Maybe this is also why Saul was so scared uh, as we see. Now, why? Why were Saul and the Israelites crushed in terror of this problem in front of them? Well, you can say, dude, it was scary. The guy was nine feet tall. He had insane armor and insane weapons. But I want you to note this down. The reason they were crushed in terror is this. They were looking at the challenge in front of them rather than the creator in the midst of them. Okay? It's important. Note this down. They were looking at the challenge in front of them rather than the creator in the midst of them. This is so often how we can be prone to look at things. We see the challenge in front of us rather than the creator who is in us. We look at the problem that we see that is massive and big and that is in our lives. Usually none of us, I don't think, are facing off against giants, but there are some big things that we might face. And fear comes from when we look at the problem rather than our proven savior. When we look at the challenge rather than the creator. You see, when this happens... That's when fear sets in. That's when anxiety overtakes. That is when discouragement becomes disabling. What is the cause of fear in the life of the believer? It is when they get their eyes off of the Lord, off of their creator, off of their savior, and on what is front of them. And so we see the problem. It's clear. And we see even the issue that they don't have this proper perspective needed. So that's when in this story at verse 11, between verse 11 and 12, there is a scene change. This intense battle scene then kind of transitions to the little town of Bethlehem. And secondly, we see the person, okay? We saw the problem. It's, his name was Goliath. We see the person in verses 12 through 30, David the little shepherd boy. Now, the focus shifts here from the problem to the person. And we are told uh, in these verses that David's older brothers, his three oldest brothers, that they had gone out to war. That originally, when they had heard, hey, the Philistines are encamped at the Valley of Elah, we got to go and meet them. Jesse would have told his sons, hey, you guys need to go and meet Saul. They got word. And so, Three of his brothers are out in the battle. We are also told at this point that David was sometimes at Saul's kingdom, right? Playing music. Obviously, he wasn't needed then because Saul was out at the battle. And so he's back home uh, feeding his father's sheep. And at this point, Jesse sends David, okay? Jesse sends David with food uh, and to, to see his brothers, to kind of feed them and to really to bring back word how they are doing. Jesse, we know at this time, David's dad was old in age, and he wanted to check on his three oldest sons, see how the battle was going. And so now let's check out what happens when David gets to the battle. Look at, we're going to read down from verses 23 to 30, okay? So David uh, obeys his dad. He heads out, and we see starting in verse 23. This is what takes place. This is, then as he talked with them, right, he got to the, the battle scene, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them, in verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid, crushed with terror. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. They didn't have to pay taxes as a reward. Verse 26, then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? 
For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's like, who's this guy? Verse 27, and the people answered him in the same manner, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Then verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. He overhears the conversation. He's like, that's David. And Eliab's anger, who's the oldest brother, was aroused against David. And he said, why'd you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence or childness of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason I should be down here? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. So David arrives on the scene. Okay, he, he gets to the battle and begins to talk to people. Hey, what's going on? And as he's talking to people about what's going on, Goliath begins to do his morning and evening approach, right? Whether it's morning and evening, we don't know. But he comes, uh, David sees him, all the men see him. You know, uh, Goliath says the same thing as before, makes a deal, mocks Israel, says, come on, put him up, right? Show bring someone to fight me. And that's when all Israel, then they, they even retreat a little back when there's only one guy and they're terrified. And David begins to see this. And he hears that now Saul even has a reward, right? If someone is willing to actually go fight Goliath, then Saul says, okay, I'll, I'll give you great riches. I'll give you my daughter a, a, as, as a royal wife. You'll have uh, a connection to the richest family in all of Israel. And all of the, all your relatives, everyone you know, they don't have to pay taxes anymore. This is a pretty good reward. Okay, so David hears that reward. And, and David's still, try, he's still trying to figure out. He's like, wait, but why is no one going out to kill him? If that's a reward, if this is what's happening, why doesn't someone go? It's not connecting with him. And Eliab, his oldest brother, remember that was the one that Samuel thought the Lord wanted to anoint king. He now, he gets angry, right? It's his little brother. And it's like his little, little brother. Like he's under 20. Uh, Eliab's no doubt the strong man of war at this point. He's like, oh my gosh, like David's here, right? And, he, and he's running his mouth. And he says, why are you down here? And he starts to even make fun of him, right? Oh, who's watching your few sheep that you're, you know, what, what are you doing down here, David? You just want to see the war. You're prideful, right? You're, you're acting childish. And we see him begin to mock, mock him in that way. And it's interesting to think like Saul, Eliab was tall himself. That, that from most likely from what it seems like from the text, there would have been something uh, at least warrior-like about Eliab. Maybe for even Eliab, he was feeling convicted like he should go. And so maybe that's part of his reaction. But look, the deal is that while other men were focused on the reward, right? They kept talking about it. They kept on talking what someone would get. David was concerned with the reputation of God. And it really seems as if David didn't understand why no one was taking this guy on. You see, David knew that defeating Goliath wouldn't be something that would be hard for God. It wouldn't be something where God would be like, oh man, I got to call and back up for this one. David had the proper perspective. He understood the same thing that Jeremiah wrote when, he, when Jeremiah said this in chapter 32, 17 of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah says here, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. You know, so often in scripture, the men and the women of scripture, they put in the perspective of, okay, if God created everything, then there's, literally, there's nothing else he can't do. If God created everything, then the giant in his sight is pretty small. You see, with men... Yeah, it would be impossible. But we know from scripture that with God, nothing is impossible. It'd be similar from what Jonathan would say in 1 Samuel 14, 6, uh, David's best friend. Jonathan would say this, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by a few. Meaning that if you were to look at Israel and the, and the men that they had, it would make sense that no one was going out. But you see, God doesn't work like that. God doesn't look at what you have, what you possess, your abilities, and say, yeah, you're not going to be able to do that. 
You see, God accomplishes big things by small means. We see this all throughout scripture. We see this in the story of Gideon. Have you guys ever read about Gideon in the book of Judges? Gideon is an amazing story how God stripped his thousands of thousands of of military men, military power, down to 300 on purpose. And God created a great uh, delivery from that. You see, David had the proper perspective. And as we're going to see, we're going to see what God does with this little shepherd boy. The next section is the preparation. Okay, we saw the problem, Goliath. We saw the person which is David, and in verses 31 through 37, we saw, we were going to see the preparation, okay? You guys still have your Bibles open? Yes? You guys tracking? Raise your hand if you knew all these details about this story already. All right, for sure, some, all right. All right, look at verse 31. It says this, now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for them him. Verse 32, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it. And delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied, mocked the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And so after all this, after right, David's interactions with the men there, after his conversation with Eliab, word gets back to Saul. Hey, there's this guy that's, that's kind of making some commotion, and he's saying, you know, that, that someone should go out there and fight this guy. And so David uh, comes to Saul, and David steps up to the plate. And he tells Saul right away, he sees Saul, the king, and he says, don't be discouraged. He says, I'll go. He says, I'll, I will go fight. And right away, Saul begins to discourage him. Right away in that, that, that phrase of faith of that he will go and, and begin to fight the giant, Saul just simply tells him, you can't. There's no way. There's no way you can. You are too young too inexperienced. And Saul literally tells him, he says, you can't do it. You cannot go. And he, and he gives a reason. He says, David, you, you are a youth, right? You're under 20. You're a teenager. And this guy, Goliath, he's a man who has been training for moments like this since he was a youth, right? Since he was your age. The problem is that Saul still has that, that, that misguided perspective, Right? He sees the problem in front of him to be too great. And this is an important lesson. How David responds is an important lesson for us. You see, David doesn't let Saul's opinions have influence over him. He didn't throw in the towel because of Saul's disbelief and his lack of faith. See, he could have. David could have been like, oh yeah, okay, then never mind, I'll, I'll just go home. But he doesn't. And I think for you and I, I think sometimes we let people's lack of faith influence us too much. That we have something we want to do for the Lord. We have something radical, something that's out of the ordinary, and someone discourages it. Maybe even someone that we trust, someone in in a position of, of faith. I think we let people influence us all too often. But David, he had this, this confidence. I don't know about you guys, but when I read this story, what I get from it is this, this extraordinary boldness and confidence that David had. Do you guys get that? That's, that's what I read. That as I read this, right, David responds. Saul tells him he can't, and he says, uh, I disagree with you, King Saul. Uh, I've had some experience. And David begins to tell Saul that as he would watch his father's sheep, and sometimes this is easy to pass over, but think about this, Okay. 
David is a shepherd. He's got a staff. He's got a sling. Hey, and, a, and a bear. Have you guys ever seen a bear in person? Have you guys ever seen a lion in person? Okay. No, I have no desire to, to, to be close to one unless there is a really strong cage, right? And David begins to describe that there was sometimes when a bear and a lion, at least we know of two different occasions, that they came and they were hungry, right? They wanted dinner. And so they took one of his sheep. And David describes that he would run after the bear. Okay, he would run after the lion. And the Bible says that he would strike it. I don't know if it was with the staff. I don't know if he punched the bear in the face. But he took, literally, this is the picture that that is described for us. He takes the sheep out of the mouth. And then when the bear and lion would get mad because he took their dinner, which anyone gets mad, then it would rise up and begin to try to attack David. And the Bible says that David would take the lion, take the bear by the beard or by the fur and kill it. Okay, he didn't have a gun. He didn't have, he didn't have even a, a, a knife. Okay, the Bible describes that he would have done this with his hands. Hey, you guys get that picture? That, that is an amazing, amazing thing. You see, he only knew that he would, was able to defeat Goliath because God had strengthened him in the past to do supernatural things. See, David's confidence wasn't that he would be able to defeat Goliath, right? It's not that David was prideful. He's like, dude, let me, I could take this guy, like nine feet tall, whoa. Like I, it's not that David was this like really scrappy, scrappy guy that was able to, you know, going to be able to, it wasn't about David's abilities and performance. And David didn't rest on that to accomplish this thing. David rested on the faithfulness of God in the past. Are you guys hearing me this morning? I hope you're seeing the connection. You see, remember the fact that David was in the fields as a shepherd this was not a glorious task. This wasn't where it was like, well, I've had experience being a shepherd and Saul would have been like, like that's a good thing, okay? His experience as a shepherd wasn't this glorious thing and it wouldn't be anything for someone to boast about. Yet, I want you to think about this. For David, it was in the years of grunt work. It was in the years of doing something no one else wanted to do that God was preparing David for this very day, that David was able to look back now and have confidence because of those years of preparation. However, so often in times of preparation, we don't see how God's going to use it. How does that apply to you? How does that apply to you right now? Maybe for you, there's a season that you're doing something you don't want to do. For a lot of you, it would be school. Okay, maybe there's a season, there's a time in your, it's not forever, but there's a time where you just want to be on to the next thing. You want to you do big things for the Lord. Yet if David didn't have this type of preparation, I don't think we'd be reading the story that we're reading. It was in the years and years of him being in the fields by himself, loneliness, rejected from his family, with his sheep, being faithful in the day-to-day task that God had called him to do, that he gained the experience and preparation that he needed for the, one of the most memorable days in his life. Are you guys hearing me? I believe God has wanted to speak to some of you. How does David have this unbelievable confidence in God's deliverance? It's because he's experienced it before. David's past experiences with the Lord fueled his current confidence. That he was able to look back and say, God has been faithful. That his focus was not on his own abilities. He didn't have like this great juke move that he was going to be like, no, I got this. Like, I know his armor bearer is there and I know Goliath's weak spot. And I'm do- it's not that David was even this, this brilliant fighter in war, though we, though we know he was. But that had nothing to do with it. He had nothing to do with how big or short he was. It had to do with him knowing his father. 
And confidence comes when we have our eyes on the Lord rather than the challenges that lay ahead when we have that proper perspective. And so after this whole story that David goes through, right, Saul says, all right, well then good luck, right? God bless you because you're going to need it. And he says, right, the Lord be with you. And finally, we come to our last and final point. We come to the preposterous victory. And a lot of you are like, what the heck does the word preposterous mean? Uh, Well, I'll give it to you in just a moment. The the preposterous victory, that's what we're going to look at for the rest of of our time together, verses 38 through 52. Now, For some of you, uh, you don't know what that word means, and I completely understand. I'm going to give you the definition, and it is this. Preposterous, according to Webster's Dictionary, it means something that is contrary to nature. So it's supernatural. Something that goes against reason and common sense. It is something that is absurd. And what we're about to read is absurd. It It is something that is preposterous, meaning that Without the Lord involved, this is ridiculous. That's why some people look at the Bible when they don't believe in God. They see stories like this and they think the Bible can't be real. But when you and I realize and understand that you and I worship creator God, then this is not so big. It's like, oh yeah, like he killed a giant who he already had created. Like this wasn't, this wasn't that big a deal. But in the world's eyes, this is a preposterous or absurd victory. Uh, and... We see in these verses that the, this epic battle begins to ensue. I want to point your attention to verse 40. We're going to read down from verse 40 to verse 52, okay? And so this is, this is the, the big part. This is the part that people know about. You guys good still? Okay, check out verse 40. It says this, Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistines came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth. He was a kid, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. In verse 44, And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword, with the spear, and with the javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. This is David talking. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the air. This is the Bible we're reading, guys. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then... All the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came, right? He heard this, and the Philistine began to go towards David and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. So he's dead and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath. So he took Goliath's sword and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley of the gates of Ekron. Pretty amazing. Pretty awesome story. So we see here that David gets off to a pretty rocky start, right? With his staff and his sling, all pun intended. Hopefully you caught it. If not, it's okay. Uh, as David approaches, okay, Goliath begins to mock him. Okay, he, he's got his sling, he's got his stones, he's got his, his staff. 
And Goliath begins to mock him. It says that he disdains David. The idea is that he considered him worthless. That he looked at David and he, and he kind of made fun of it. He just started laughing that David wasn't worthy of the fight, right? He was only a youth. That the, the size difference between David and Goliath must have been, right, ridiculous. And, and then, you know, Goliath even says, you know, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? He, he compared it between, you know, a man and an animal fight that there is no, there's no comparison, and then we see David Wright respond with those epic words, probably some of the most epic words that were ever penned, and that, that these comments, whether it was from Saul or Goliath, this discouragement regarding his age, regarding his size, regarding things that he had no uh, you know, power to change, he didn't let them stop him. And there's that epic verses, verses 45 through 46, 47, where he says, you come at me. You come at me with weapons, but I come at you with the Lord, right? It sounds almost cheesy looking at it, but it, it is awesome. He, he realized, he says, the battle is the Lord's. And, and, he, and, he, and he's pretty descriptive. He says, I'm going to take your head and, and, your, and all the people behind you uh, that have been mocking the God of Israel, uh, they're going to see. You see, guys, David knew that the battle was the Lord. It wasn't going to be about what kind of weapons he wielded. It was going to be about the God he depended on. Why don't you think about this? Hey, I know it's a story that you've heard, but there's application here. There's, there's room for us to grow through this. You see, David was bold, was he not? I mean, it was like, it was almost like, David, are, do you want to be this bold? Like, this is a little, a little crazy. But his boldness was in the Lord. I believe David really had the perspective that Goliath was outmanned and outgunned because of the Lord. And so David comes on top as the victor, right? He, he strikes, we, we know the story, he pulls out the stone, he uses his sling. And think about the imagery there. It, it hits his head so that it sinks into his forehead. Everyone push on your forehead. forehead. Does that feel soft to you? Okay, the, the imagery is that the stone was stuck there. It was like, it was, it was implanted in his head. And the Bible says that he fell, right, face forward into the ground. He was dead before he cut off his head by a single stone. Now, this is something that's supernatural, okay, guys? This is something that, that it was, yes, it was David's stone, but it was God's empowerment. And many Christians have difficulty here when they hear the phrase, God will do it. When they hear the phrase that the battle is the Lord's, they, they, a question comes to mind. So wait, is God supposed to do it or am I supposed to do it? Things that I face in my, my life, when you say, no, God will, God will strengthen you to do it or, or God will go before you, God will fight your battles. But you've heard those phrases before. What does that mean? Is it God or is it me? Is it God or me? What, who, who is it? The answer is both, right? The answer is both. God fighting our battles doesn't mean that we stay home and lounge on the couch and open up some Pringles, okay? That God fighting our battles still means you got to show up. For David, he literally didn't just show up. He prepared and he ran, right? He ran towards the thing that was the problem. We are to run hard at what is in front of us, trusting God for the victory and trusting that when we throw things toward the issues of our life that God's going to ensure that the stone hits the target. See, David is mentioned in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 for good reason. David had an extraordinary faith. It's been said before that, that everyone else thought, right, all Israel thought, Goliath is so big, I can't beat him. But David thought, Goliath is so big, I can't miss him. And that's the difference. It's been said before that a man of less faith might have been too nervous to take the proper aim. But David did what needed to be done. But he relied the whole time. It was clear. He made it clear time and time again, it's God who will do it. God will deliver me. God, it's God's battles. It's, it's him through me. And is that not the Christian walk? It is God through you. It's Galatians 2.20, that I have been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. 
It is a picture for us. It is a picture of our walk with God. And as we look to the New Testament, Testament, as we look to the New Testament, victory for the Christian comes through the same thing for that, that David got victory from, and it's faith. We see in 1 John 5, 4, John would say this, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. What was the key? What, what was, the, was the stone smooth enough and was the sling, you know, put together in this, this amazing fashion so that he could get a, that, that stone to propel at a rate that is extra? No, it's none of that. His victory happened before the fight even began. And it was because of faith. And for you and I, you and I, our victory in this world and whatever we face comes from our faith. Paul tells us in Romans 8, verses 37, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors, victors through him who loved us. It is through Jesus and it is by faith. Now, as people throughout the centuries have looked at this story, right, and they, they've studied it, they've, they've read it, it's been said that David's victory over Goliath is a picture in advance. I want you to write that down. Okay? The, the story of David and Goliath has been said to be a picture in advance of the victory that Jesus won on the cross. Let me... Let me explain to you some similarities of this picture in advance, right? That Jesus had not yet come at this point to die on the cross. This was before that. Think about it. Both David and Jesus were born in Bethlehem, right? They were both reje rejected by their, by their brothers at one point in their life. Both David and Jesus represented their people. Both David and Jesus fought the battle on ground that rightfully belonged to God's people, but ground that they had lost. Both David and Jesus fought their enemy, was able to dominate the uh, people of God through fear and intimidation alone, meaning that the enemy uh, on, on both circumstances uses fear and intimidation. Both David and Jesus were sent to the battleground by their father. Think about that, right? David was sent to the battleground by his father. Jesus was sent to earth by his father. Both David and Jesus were, right, we mentioned that. Both David and Jesus won the battle, but saw that their enemies did not give up willingly. Both David and Jesus fought a battle where victory was assured before the battle started. See, David gave victory to his people that day. And on the cross, Jesus gave victory to those who would put their faith and trust in him. And that's an encouraging reality as believers that you and I see the difference between as we look at David and Goliath is that our battle, it's one that's already been won. That we don't, David worked, right, for victory. But you and I, we work from victory, that we live our lives so that no matter what we face, no matter what challenges ahead, there's no giant too big because at the end of the day, you and I are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. The victory's done. And when you live your life in a way recognizing that you won, then that gives you that confidence and boldness that David had. But some of us, we, we still think, oh, no, it's too big. It's, it's too much. There is nothing too big and there is nothing too much because Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus has already won what's needed to be won. And so, guys, the proper perspective is everything. That for the Christian, we need to have the perspective that David had. We need to see God as bigger than any challenge before us because he is. Fear in your life, anxiety and worry, it comes from a lack of perspective. And confidence and boldness comes through the proper perspective. And as we read this story today, we, we saw that great contrast of fear and confidence. 
Right? We saw Saul and the army flee and were crushed with terror. And then David almost seamlessly does the impossible. And so in your life, just think about it for a moment. Where in your life does a change of perspective need to come? What area do you need to strengthen your faith in? Right now, what seems impossible to you? What areas do you look at and see that the odds are stacked against you? And this doesn't mean, right, this story of David and Goliath, it's not that we take it and it's like the, the Philippians 4.13 verse that we take. It's that like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Well, David defeated Goliath so I can hit a home run uh, at my baseball game, okay? That, that's not the idea. Are there family dynamics that seem impossible to work through, maybe with parents or siblings? Are there circumstances of staying home from school beginning to weigh down heavy on you? Are there past failures in your life that seem too big to get past? My words of advice and wisdom and counsel to you are not complicated. It is look to Jesus. You will find victory and no other place. So this morning, let us as David focus our eyes upon our creator, our deliverer, and off of the challenges that stand before us. For David, it was like Goliath wasn't even there. It was never even an issue. He didn't see, he didn't even see the armor. He didn't see how tall he was. That wasn't of concern because his eyes were on Jesus. And so today, let's determine to look unto Jesus, the author, and notice the finisher of our faith. Sound good? Father, we, we love you and we thank you for the story. We, we thank you for the practical application to, to our lives as as followers of Jesus. We pray that today that we would have the right perspective, the godly perspective, that, that there's nothing too hard for you. And Lord, if, if you were able to conquer sin and death, to move us from darkness into light, from death into life, then there's nothing in our personal lives that you can't deal with that you can't handle. And so, Lord, we give it to you. We do as your word says, and we cast our cares upon you because you care for us. Lord, we run to you as our rock and our refuge, our strong fortress in time of need. Lord, we look to you. I pray, Lord, that when the situations and circumstances of life become overwhelming, Lord, that as, as we can even think of Peter, as he got his eyes off of Jesus and on the storm, he began to sink. Lord, this morning, we reach our hand up to you, wanting you to pick us up because we want to look at you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen.